It's Wednesday, January 22nd. I'm Martine Powers. This is an impeachment update from Post Reports. The Senate will convene as a court of impeachment. The chaplain will lead us in prayer. So in the most bare basics version, what happened today? The first trial part of the Senate impeachment trial got started and House Democrats began presenting their case about why the Senate should convict Trump and throw him out of office. Today you will hear the details of the president's corrupt scheme in narrative form. I'm Amber Phillips. I analyze politics for The Fix blog at The Washington Post. And the arguments that Democrats are making are basically the same arguments that we heard during the House impeachment hearings. That's right. There's not a lot of new information here at all. I listened to Chairman Adam Schiff start things off. Over the coming days, you will hear from the House managers details of this scheme and the effort to hide it from Congress. And I kind of categorized the arguments he said they were going to make in the coming days into three parts. One is that our founders put impeachment in the Constitution for a reason. That reason is personified by Trump's actions in Ukraine. The facts of the president's misconduct and cover-up lead to the conclusion that the president undertook the sort of corrupt course of conduct that impeachment was intended to remedy. They're going to spend the next couple days telling us why they think Trump abused his power as president by trying to leverage military aid and an Oval Office meeting to get Ukraine to investigate his political opponents, and then why they think Trump covered it up to a degree that he should be impeached and removed from office for obstructing Congress. And he engaged in this scheme or course of conduct for corrupt purposes in pursuit of his personal political benefit. In doing so, President Trump used the powers of the presidency in a manner that compromised the national security of the United States and undermined the integrity of the U.S. democratic process. And then the final section I heard Schiff make in his opening arguments for these opening arguments is that senators need to think beyond Washington, D.C. when they consider whether to acquit or convict him. He feels very strongly if the Senate lets Trump get away with this, that it's going to undermine American democracy for years to come. He literally said, Vladimir Vladimir Putin Putin would like nothing like nothing nothing better. The Russians have little democracy left, thanks to Vladimir Putin. It's an autocracy. It's a thugocracy. And it seems like Democrats are also trying to hammer home the idea that this is about President Trump's actions, that this isn't a case where Rudy Giuliani or other people in the president's circle were doing things without the knowledge of the president, that in the words of Adam Schiff, that the president is the key player in the scheme. That's exactly right. That's a challenge for Democrats because there are two parts to their accusation of abuse of power. One is that he withheld an Oval Office meeting with the Ukrainian president in order to get Ukraine's president to investigate Democrats or announce the investigation. That's not in dispute. It's the Oval Office. Trump's the one who holds the meeting. He held that up. Democrats are trying to argue that President Trump also withheld this taxpayer money in the form of military aid for Ukraine to get the same leverage. He withheld hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer-funded military aid and a coveted White House meeting to increase the pressure on Ukraine to comply. They haven't proved that beyond a shadow of a doubt. What I mean by that is Trump has said 
corroborating Washington Post reporting and Democrats' impeachment inquiry that, yes, he held up the Ukraine aid. But he's given shifting reasons for that, and none of them have been, I held up the Ukraine aid specifically to get them to announce an investigation into Joe Biden. What Adam Schiff and the Democrats need to do over the next couple days is say, yeah, but look at this long list of evidence we uncovered that suggests if you apply common sense, Trump did that for that reason. So that tees up some of the arguments that we can expect over the coming days. But there's also still this lingering question of witnesses. Will there be new witnesses who are allowed to testify during this trial? And it seems like some of that wrangling was going on today. What were today's discussions around that? And is there a sign that there are any more moderate Republicans who are being persuaded one way or the other about whether or not that's something that they want to see? We've heard, according to our reporting from our congressional colleagues, that a couple Senate Democrats are talking about this idea of a trade with witnesses. Why don't we let Republicans call witnesses we think are not integral to the trial and let them kind of fall flat on their face, the Republican case, people like Joe Biden or his son Hunter Biden, who did work in Ukraine? In exchange, we'll get to call our witnesses that we think could really help our case, like former National Security Council Advisor John Bolton. That seems like a risky move. Exactly. Very risky. What happens if Joe Biden or Hunter Biden say something that doesn't help Joe Biden's campaign and, and, you know, he's leading in some of the polls and he tumbles? What happens if John Bolton doesn't provide the smoking gun that Democrats hope they will, which I think is a real possibility that John Bolton doesn't have a ton of light to shed on this information? So in the face of that, of that risk, we heard— Today, on Wednesday, we heard Senate Democratic leaders and House Democratic leaders and Joe Biden himself all chime in and say, no, there's no trade. Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader, actually told reporters it's off the table. Sir, would you be open to, say, a a witness trade for Hunter Biden? No, I think that's off the table. First of all, the Republicans have the right to bring in any witness they want. They haven't wanted to. And that trade is, is not on the table. And then Joe Biden, according to our Washington Post colleague Matt Viser, who was with him in Iowa, said, I want no part in that. So it seems like this was something bubbling in some of the Senate Democratic ranks, enough to get the attention of reporters at the Washington Post who reported on it, and it's been shut down. One last thing I want to ask about today is about the general vibe and feeling of what it was like in the room during these proceedings. Because we had, late on Tuesday night, Justice John Roberts basically calling out the House impeachment managers and also the lawyers for the president, uh, saying that their decorum was unacceptable. I think it is appropriate at this point for me to admonish both the House managers and the president's counsel in equal terms uh, to remember that they are addressing the world's greatest deliberative body. And I'm wondering what things have been like today, if there is this feeling of of unrestrained contentiousness and and how people are talking about the president and what he might have done. I've seen on the Senate floor, when House Democrats talk, a much more subdued tone after that blow up you talked about we into the hours Tuesday night to Wednesday morning. So, for example, on Tuesday, as House managers were arguing that senators should open the trial up to witnesses early on, Adam Schiff used swear words that I wouldn't use on your show. We heard none of that on Wednesday. It was very formal, almost gave like a professorial speech with no swear words in sight. 
off the Senate floor, I think you're right to zone in on contention. Our our congressional colleagues on Capitol Hill were pinging Republican and Democratic senators as they came in and out of, of the trial. And both sides said, listen, I don't appreciate the House managers in particular, like pointing the finger at us and and judging us. Um, Republicans are a little bit more strong with their criticism. But I, I did feel like House Democrats are, are trying to walk a little bit more in eggshells now because they realize antagonizing the jury isn't helpful to their case. I also think that there is a lingering question here of boredom, right? We, we've seen today that some senators, even though they're all supposed to be seated during all of the proceedings, that we saw some were in the cloakroom while things were happening, that I think we've seen a couple people nodding off at this early stage in the impeachment trial. and. It kind of feels like the battle here for Democrats to make their case isn't just a battle against the arguments of Republicans. It's a battle against this idea that we've seen all of this before. We've heard all these arguments before. We had this whole thing play out in the House. And like, why should anyone really pay attention to this now? And it seems like that is going to be a struggle. Exactly. How do House managers break down in intricate detail every piece of evidence that they have gathered against the president and yet package it in a concise way that senators can grab onto, but not just senators, because they're also talking to the American public. I don't know anybody besides us who get paid to do this who get to sit there and watch the entire Senate trial and hang on every word and say, okay, that was a good point. Oh, that was inaccurate. Especially when half of it is going to take place like after work hours in the evening when people are presumably paying attention to other things. Exactly. It's a challenge for Democrats. And then after three days of that, senators have to sit through the Republican side of the defense, and they only get a one-day break on Sunday. And this is where Mitch McConnell's strategy to hold a vote on whether to continue to trial and have witnesses comes in. He's betting these senators are going to be bored out of their minds. They're going to be so tired from sitting without their phones, not campaigning, not fundraising, not legislating, that there's no way they're going to continue to ask for witnesses, even if some of them on the Republican side think they should. Amber Phillips writes about politics for The Fix. And now one more thing from reporter David Farenthold on the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. We started mapping out all the places where the impeachment drama unfolded. Like, if you were going to give a bus tour of Washington, of all the places where Donald Trump, you know, on the way to his impeachment, where would you go? So there's the uh, bar in D.C. where Rudy Giuliani, Trump's lawyer, actually stays at the bar so long that he puts out a placard on his table saying, Rudolph W. Giuliani, private office. There's the lobby where Giuliani and his sort of henchmen, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, meet with other people, talk to folks about Trump's legal defense. There's the bar next to the lobby where uh, a guy named Robert Hyde, this kind of congressional candidate from Connecticut no one had ever heard of before, somehow gets embroiled with the president's legal defense team and offers to put the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine under surveillance. Okay, so I've just walked into the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. 
all those places you wouldn't need a bus to get to them. You would just need to walk because they're all in the Trump Hotel. Most of them are in the lobby of the Trump Hotel. So we sent our producer, Jordan Marie Smith, to the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. There are four gigantic chandeliers that are sparkling in the atrium. It's bigger than your average hotel lobby. It's kind of this soaring space, and it's got in it a steakhouse, a steakhouse bar, another bar, and then kind of like a, a bunch of tables set out in the middle. And there's an even grander patriotic American flag in the lobby. It's more like a Vegas hotel, you know, than a, than a typical Washington hotel, and that every space is sort of used for entertaining and partying. So there's a lot going on. It's this place where... People who have power, like Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer, are just available out in the open to any Yahoo who wants to buy a drink. Anybody who wants to buy a drink and sidle up to them, it can happen there at the Trump Hotel. And by creating that environment, sort of forcing the Republican Party's power brokers into this little space with anybody who can buy a drink, Trump helped create this situation where these people got linked up and followed the chain of bad ideas to get him impeached. David Farenthold reports on President Trump's family businesses for The Post. That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening.